as I was preparing for this message today, you know, I was doing some research, and every year, how many of you know a lot of people make New Year's resolutions? Anyone make New Year's resolutions for this year? All right, a few of you, a few of you. Uh, one of the most famous, probably most popular New Year's resolutions people make is that they want to work out more, right? Did anyone make that as a resolution this year? Okay, if you did, uh, you're not alone. I have a picture here. 48% of people who make resolutions, uh, the previous one we could go to, 48% of people who make resolutions say that fitness is their top priority. Top priority. You can see a chart here with some other kind of goals people have, finances, mental health, lose weight, diet, make time for loved ones, perform better at work, only 3%. Only 3% of people want to perform better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of interesting. That's interesting. And if you're part of a gym, you're going to go this week or you've gone this week and you've seen just how many more people are there, right? I've experienced that myself. Gyms will make billions in gym memberships every January of every year. But did you know here in this next picture, it'll say 67% of the people who sign up for the gym, never going to use it. Never going to use it. Are there, is that anyone here? No, don't raise your hand if that's you. That, that's, some of you have the card in your pocket and it's still in the place where you got it when you joined because you haven't used it. So 67% of people who join the gym, uh, they're never going to use it. Uh, in the next slide, I think we have a picture here. Only 9% of people will complete their New Year's resolutions. And you can see, when will the gym start clearing up? Okay, that, that's the big question a lot of us have. When are the gyms going to start to empty out? Uh, it doesn't even take till February. Usually by the second, third week of January right here is when gym uh, people who are going to the gym begin to decline, okay? So what am I saying here? Am I saying all of this to discourage you guys? Uh, no, I'm just trying to paint the reality that many people who say they want to do things at the beginning of the year don't really accomplish them, right? And there's many reasons why people don't follow through on it. This next picture here will show you the top 10 reasons why people quit their resolutions, why they quit their fitness goals. And there are all kinds of reasons here. Some of them legit, some of them not so legit. Um, but the one that spoke to me kind of clearly was number three, which is giving up too easily. People just give up too easily when they want to try to work on themselves, right? Because it's hard. You'll go to the gym maybe one, two weeks, and you're going to feel pain, and you're going to be sore, and your body's going to hurt, and you're going to look in the mirror, and your pants are going to fit the same, right? And your belt is making no progress. And some of you step on the scale, and you're like, man, I gained three pounds, and I've been going to the gym for the last three weeks. What's going on? So you quit. You quit, right? We quit. We quit too easily because we don't see the change that we want to see in ourselves quick enough. Remember, I spoke about this last week. We live in a very impatient culture, don't we? Yeah. Express lane, overnight delivery, on-demand, microwave, horn honking people. And we want uh, results when? We want them now. But what we don't get, we quit. We quit. Why am I saying all this? Because many people begin the new year and they say, this is the year that I'm going to walk with the Lord. This is the year that I'm going to take my faith to a deeper place. This is the year where I'm going to make it happen. And listen, some of you are going to be here just like if this was a gym. And by the first week of February, you won't be here anymore. And we don't want you to be a statistic. We don't want you to be a person who, who doesn't follow through on the things that you feel like the Lord is calling you to do. And the beginnings of things matter. We learned that last week, right? The lessons before you cross over 
into a new season, what you learn before you get to a place that you're trying to get to matter. And in this very first meeting, this very first reunion of ours, gathering, worship service of 2024, I want you to hear me well. Your beginnings of this year matter. What you do the first weeks of this year could set the foundation for how the rest of your year spiritually goes, how the rest of your year physically goes, how the rest of your year emotionally goes. And these very first few weeks matter. Whether you're in the waiting room, we talked about the waiting rooms last year, we talked about last week, we talked about having your eyes open, having your heart in check, taking that bold step, remembering the goodness of God at every step. And what we like to do here at New Life is we like to begin each year being intentional, starting it with prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting, this, this dynamic duo that work together that really draw us closer to the Lord. Um, prayer and fasting is like God's fitness plan for you. It's how God makes you more disciplined in your walk, in your journey. Uh, what we want to do over these next few weeks through this series called Stronger is teach about and dispel some myths about fasting and prayer. We've entitled this series Stronger because there's a common misconception that people have when it comes to fasting. Many people think, man, fasting makes me weak. I'm, I'm maybe not eating what I typically eat. I got to reduce what I'm consuming. You know, I got to change my routine. And, and, and many people I hear every year, um, all I hear is like the beginning of January, a lot of people say, oh, man, the next weeks are going to be so hard. <laughs> How many of you approach fasting like that? All week you're probably thinking, oh, man, January 7th is coming. Let me get all the tamales, all the barbecue, all the tacos I can fit in because, oh, it's hard. It's, it's so hard. Why is it going to be so hard? How am I going to make it through? Is that on the guide? Is that question answered? How am I going to make it through? And people struggle with fasting because there's this idea that it makes you weak. My question to you is, what if the opposite was true? What is it? about fasting that makes a person stronger because that is the truth. Fasting doesn't make you weaker. Oh, it'll make you hungry. Don't misunderstand me. But it's going to make you physically stronger. It's going to make you mentally stronger. It's going to make you emotionally stronger. And most importantly, it's going to make you spiritually stronger. Amen. Try fasting and what you'll find is that it clears your mind of clutter. It clears your heart out of distractions. It clears your ears to hear the voice of God clearer. You need to discover this powerful duo that when they're combined, they don't make you weaker. They make you stronger. And today, I want us to begin by talking about one area how fasting makes you stronger. And it's an area that we all have to wrestle with, that we all have to deal with as human beings, as followers of Christ, as people who want to you know, walk with the Lord, and that's temptation. Today I've entitled this message, Stronger to Overcome Temptation. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4, but before we get to Matthew chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, you can put a little note there on Matthew 4. We're going to be taking a journey through God's Word to look at temptation. One of the things that you are going to be tempted with this week, if you are participating in the fast, and I hope you do, is you're going to be tempted to quit. You're going to be tempted to throw in the towel and say, this is way too hard. 
I'm not seeing any results. And like people who quit the gym after the first few weeks, some of you will fall off of a fasting wagon after the first few days because you'll have the idea that it's just too hard. It's just too hard. And because of what physical feelings you feel, uh, many of you will throw in a towel. And I'm hoping that after this message, you'll see that. No, uh, just like working out in the gym, it takes a minute for you to begin to see results. But fasting, it's the same. And the more you fast, the closer you draw to the Lord, the clearer your mind is, the more open your ears are, the more open your heart is, the more God is going to speak in and move in your life in ways that you never dreamed possible. Never dreamed possible. So today is about understanding how fasting can help us overcome temptation. Temptation. Let's talk about where temptation comes from. Okay, because some of us have a misidea of temptation, and uh, some people would say, well, you know, God is tempting me. God always has a way of tempting me. Is that biblically accurate? Let's begin here in our study on temptation by looking at James chapter 1. This is in James chapter 1. If you don't have the scripture ready, uh, you can follow it here on the screens with me. Um, and this is a great message here. I, I believe what I'm sharing here could really, really benefit you uh, because I'm hoping to uh, unpack truths about temptation so you can understand where temptation comes from. How does the enemy use temptation? How do you overcome temptation? And how does God use it to make you a better person that he wants you to be? All right. So let's look at it here. This is where temptation comes from. James chapter one. It says when tempted right away, it's implied. Guess what? You're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted. And any person who calls himself a believer of Christ ever comes up to you and says, I don't deal with temptation. I'm over that. You know, that's for those baby Christians. I don't get tempted anymore. Lies. Okay? Lies. 100% lies. That person needs to get their heart right with the truth because it says here, when you're tempted, it's implied. It's going to be part of your life. It's going to be part of your journey with God. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Clarifying truth. Where does temptation come from? Not from God. Temptation is not from God. Where does it come from? It says us here. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Our desires is what produces temptation in our life. Verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. It, uh, here they're using the analogy of, of James is using the analogy of, of a childbirth, right? And temptation, um, if it's left in your heart and you don't deal with it, it it's, it's going to lead to a desire that you have and that desire is going to grow up within you. That desire is going to conceive something and you're going to give birth to this thing called sin. And sin, when it's not dealt with and it's full grown, leads to what? Leads to death. So this clarifies, James clarifies for us a couple of things. One, temptation will be part of your walk. Expect it. Second thing it clarifies, temptation, not of God, right? It's of our own desires. It's of our own uh, wants and needs that we have here, right? So temptation is not of God. However, God will allow temptation. God will allow temptation. We see that in the book of Job. God allowed the devil to tempt Job. Uh, why does God allow temptation? Because temptation is one of God's ways of, of using it is to have us draw closer to him. Because when we feel tempted, we have a choice to make. We're either going to run away from the Lord or we're going to run to the Lord. The choice 
is yours. The choice is yours. I love what Warren Wiersbe, the theologian and author, says. He says, Satan tempts us to bring out the worst in us. That's true. The temptations, the devil wants to use it to bring out the worst in you. But God can use these difficult experiences to put the best into us. Temptation is Satan's weapon to defeat us, but it can become God's tool to what? To build us. Because as we battle temptation and as we overcome temptation, we're fortified, we're strengthened, we're beginning to understand how the enemy works, and God will use temptation to make you a stronger believer. Okay, so now we know how or where temptation comes from. It's from the enemy. It's his tool to bring out the worst for you. But God will use it. God will allow it to bring out the best of you. Now, how does the enemy tempt us? Let's look at that. To find how the enemy tempts us, let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 17. This is what the Apostle John writes. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Okay? Now, I don't want you to get the world confused with people. The Bible is not saying don't love people. There's two commandments. Love God, love people. Right? When, when it says do not love the world, it's not talking about people or the earth itself. Right? It's talking about the sinfulness of humanity, a people who live in rebellion against God. Uh, here John is saying don't love that rebellious group of people who live contrary to God, who live in this world. It says, if anyone loves the world, this rebellion of sinfulness of humanity, uh, love for the Father is not in them. For everything that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now here, John is giving us the big three. These are the three big ways that the enemy tempts us. And I'm going to unpack this in a little bit, but let me go to verse 17 first. It says, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Okay? So, again, um, the Bible's not saying don't love people and don't love the world. No. John 3.16 says, So God loved the world. Amen. And if God loved the world, guess what? We need to love the people of the world as well. Even sinful, broken people, we are called to be the love of God to them and for them. So, so don't misunderstand this as saying, you know, we need to live, you know, opposite. And you need to live in a forest and put sackcloth on and eat locusts and honey. That's not what the Bible is saying. He's saying, don't love the sinful rebellion of the world. Because that's not of the Father. But what is of the world is these things called the big three. The big three. And I have them listed here. This is how Satan tempts you, okay? And Satan tempts you through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And listen, you could follow this game plan that the enemy uses all the way back to Adam and Eve, all the way back to the garden. Do you remember the story of the garden? Right? God says you could eat of any tree in this garden except this one tree. You cannot eat of this tree, Adam and Eve. And on that tree, what was on that tree? A piece of beautiful fruit was hanging from that tree. And one day as Eve is going through the garden, she comes upon this tree. And the Bible says, first of all, that she saw the fruit, she saw the fruit hanging from the tree. Right? So that's the first place the enemy comes and tempts. You see, when we think of the devil or the enemy, I don't want you to have this picture of this horned creature with a long tail and a red suit with a pitchfork. That's not the way the devil comes at you. 
the, the Bible also describes Lucifer as an angel of light. And often his temptations come packaged in something that's very appealing to you. It looks delightful, it looks delicious. And the first way that he tempted Eve was to have her look at something. And this is why we need to do really well in guiding our eye gates. Because the angel of light, who's really disguised for Satan, comes and he uses the lust of the eyes, the things that we see, the things that look appealing to us, the things that draw us, he uses that to tempt us. Now he also uses the lust of the flesh. What is the lust of the flesh? In the Bible it says that when Eve saw the apple or the fruit hanging from the tree, she said, it says that she saw it was good for food. Oh, she was probably thinking how delicious this fruit is going to taste. How satisfying it is going to be for me. Maybe she was hungry at the point. She saw this fruit and she said, wow, this is great. This is going to satisfy me so well. And, and, and this reminds us that, you know what? Satan is crafty. In the book of Genesis, it says he was the most subtle and crafty of all the creatures. And listen, Satan is not all powerful. Satan is not all knowing. But he does kind of know some of your weaknesses. And he does know the things that you struggle with. And he does kind of know what gets you going. He knows the soft spots of your soul and of your emotions. And he'll use those things to try to tempt you. Uh, the temptation of the flesh is usually Satan wanting you to satisfy legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. And here, Eve probably had a legitimate need for hunger. She wanted to satisfy her flesh, her hunger, by eating this fruit. But this fruit was not allowed by God. So she's trying to satisfy a legitimate need through an illegitimate way. Now, God has made our bodies beautiful. God has made our bodies perfect in his creation. And we have needs. Food, sleep, water, sex, affection. And sometimes the enemy will tempt the, the, the lust of your flesh by having you satisfy these very legitimate needs in very illegitimate ways. And the enemy knows that, and that's how he tempts you. And the last way that he tempts us is through something called the pride of life. The pride of life. The Bible says that when Eve saw the fruit, she was attracted to it. The lust of the eyes. She saw that it was good for food. Oh, it was going to satisfy a deep need that she had. Lust of the flesh. And then the enemy said, oh, you eat this fruit, it's going to make you just like God. It's going to make you just like God. It's going to make you like him. It's going to give you power. It's going to give you status. It's going to give you prestige. Hey, it's going to boost you up. You're going to upgrade your status on social media if you eat this fruit. And that, whenever we're trying to elevate ourselves, whenever we're trying to get above God, that is what? That's the pride of life. That's us operating in a pride, haughty spirit. And whether we use lies, whether you use rumors or gossip or abuse, control, narcissism, arrogance, or self-reliance, some of us will stop at nothing to get power. We'll stop at nothing to get influence. We'll stop at nothing to make a name of ourselves. As long as it boosts me, I don't care. And when you do that, you fall into the temptation of the pride of life. And again, where does all this come from? Does this come from the Father? 
No, this comes from the world. This comes from the world. So now we know where temptation comes from. The enemy. We know how he tempts us. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Now let's talk about how do we overcome temptation. How do you overcome temptation? Do you remember when Jesus was praying in the garden right before he was betrayed, right before he was arrested? He took three of his top disciples with him, James, John, and Peter. And they're there, and Jesus leaves them in the garden, and he says, he gives them specific instructions. He says, you guys stand watch and pray while I go over there and pray. And three times Jesus comes back, and what does he find these guys doing? They're sleeping. They're sleeping, right? And Jesus comes three times, and he tells them in one way or another the same thing. This is in Mark chapter 14. Verse 38. This is Jesus telling us how we overcome temptation. Mark 14, 38 says, Watch and pray so that you do not fall into what? Into temptation. Watch and pray so that you do not what? Fall into temptation. Then Jesus gives this caveat. He says, The spirit is willing. Oh, I know you guys want to do it on the inside, but your flesh is weak. Your flesh is is weak. So, so what is Jesus saying here? Two ways to defeat temptation. One, pray. Two, restrain your flesh. Because what did the flesh want here for these three guys? They wanted to sleep. The flesh wanted to sleep. Their spirit wanted to pray. But the flesh was winning the battle in this war. And these guys three times did not pray. They did what? They fell asleep. So what is Jesus saying? How do you defeat temptation? You pray and you restrain your flesh. You restrain the flesh and you pray. And fasting is how you restrain your flesh. Because your body wants things. Naturally, you don't have to tell your stomach to get hungry. It does naturally. It's a God-given need that you have. But if we're going to be people who draw nearer to the Lord, you need to crucify your flesh, the Bible says, and draw near to God. And the way you overcome temptation is you pray and you restrain your flesh. That's the first thing that we do. And the second way we overcome temptation is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Where he says, he's speaking about the power of forgiveness. And he's saying, you know, we need to forgive in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. So, hey, pray and fast to overcome temptation. And number two, know how the devil works. Know how he works. And how does he work? He uses what? Temptation. And this week, as you start your fast, many of you are going to be tempted. Don't be caught unaware. Don't be like, whoa, where's this coming from? This hunger that I'm feeling. Or this, you know, uneasiness that I'm feeling because I would usually use my time right now to do this. But now I'm trying to fill it with God. Understand how the enemy works. I love how the theologian and author Klein Snidegrass, he says this. When we talk about that word schemes of the devil, schemes, what do you think about when you hear the word scheme? You think of like some slick-haired kind of guy or person who wants your money, right? They're trying to talk into something like, hey, come over here. Pops up a board. I want you to join my organization. You know, just put a little bit of money down, and I promise you, you're going to get a hundred back or a thousand percent back. Right? It's a scheme. It's a plot. Guess what? The enemy works the exact same ways. 
The schemes of the devil remind us of the trickery of temptation. Here it is. Evil rarely looks evil until it has accomplished its goal. It gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, and perfectly legitimate. Again, the temptations of the enemy are perfectly, seem to be perfectly legitimate. They seem, you know, approvable. They seem attractive. They seem desirable. But in the end, what are they leading to? They're leading you to death. Okay, so we know where temptation comes from, the enemy. We know how the enemy tempts us through the big three. We know how to overcome temptation, prayer and restraining the flesh, which we call fasting, and knowing how the enemy works. Now, here's a great encouragement today. Uh, Where do we go to for help when we're tempted? How many of you know you could go to Jesus when you're tempted, right? Why could you go to Jesus? Do you know why? Because he himself was tempted. He himself was tempted. This is in Hebrews 2, verses 18. Hebrews 2, uh, chapter 2, verses 18. It says, because he himself, talking about Jesus, suffered when he was what? Tempted. He is able to what? To help you when you're being tempted. I love that about Jesus. That he was fully God, but yet he was fully man. He understood what it was like to face temptation. Over and over again in his life, he was faced with temptation. And every time, he's the only human being who is undefeated against temptation. Jesus Christ, the only one who's undefeated. And when you're feeling tempted, he is the one you could go to for help. So this week, when you're fasting, and if you're giving up food as part of your fast, and I hope that is part of your fast, and that bowl of Cheetos is at work, because listen, the enemy, you got to know how he works. Many of us, these last two weeks have been kind of vacation weeks, or your work schedule's been funny. A lot of people go on vacations. They go out of town. And guess what? All the treats and the sweets that they brought back from their vacation, where are they going to be this week? They're going to be on your lunchroom table at work. And right as you're starting your fast, the enemy knows. The enemy knows. Be fully prepared when you go to work this week. You're going to see more food than you've seen in the last month, probably. Why? Because that's how the enemy works. But as you're walking past that Cheeto table or the donut table, and the donut begins to call out your name, you see me, you see me, smell me. And some of you are going to want to play the game and be like, well, I just want to smell. I just want to smell and then walk away. Okay? Because it's tough. Fasting is tough. It's hard. And temptation is going to come because that's what the enemy does. And it's going to be the lust of the eyes. You're going to see that donut. It's going to be the lust of the flesh. You're going to think, oh, how great it's going to taste. And then maybe the pride of life will get you. And you'll say, well, God, God doesn't care about one donut, does he? Now, if you make a commitment to fast, God cares what your word says you're going to do. But when you're in that moment, what could you do? You don't need to get super spiritual. You don't need to get, you know, super wordy. You could just say, Jesus, help me. You were tempted and you overcame it. Jesus, help me overcome this temptation because he is the one that we go to when we need help when temptation comes. In Matthew 4, we see this encounter that Jesus has with the devil himself. Jesus is about to enter into his public ministry. I I want to begin to wrap up with this here. He's 30 years old. 
He had just gotten baptized, Jesus. The clouds split when he baptized him. The words of God spoke over him and said, People, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And John the Baptist said, I'm no one to even touch this man's sandals, lest baptize him. And listen, all of you are seeking me. All of us need to follow Jesus. And he points the people to Jesus. And before Jesus enters into his public ministry, before he crosses over, he goes on a journey. And it's a 40-day journey in the wilderness, in the desert. The number 40, whenever you see the number 40 in the Bible, it's a very special number. Noah, for 40 days, was on an ark, and the rain didn't stop. Uh, Moses fasted for 40 days. Moses went and tended to sheep for 40 years. Moses then led people through the desert for 40 years looking for God. Uh, for 40 days after Jesus resurrected, he walked the face of the earth. The number 40 has a very special significance in the Bible. Now, now I'm, I'm low-key thankful that we don't have a 40-day fast. <laughs> 21 is enough. <laughs> but maybe sometime soon. And your life has done 40-day fasts before. But for 40 days, Jesus fasts here. He's preparing himself for his ministry. And you might ask yourself, is he becoming stronger at this point? Or is he making himself weaker? Let's see if fasting had something to do with how Jesus overcomes temptation here in Matthew 4. So I'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, when Jesus was led by the Spirit, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Again, fasting, if you're fasting food, you're going to get hungry. That's where the temptation comes. Now, some of you might say, man, if Jesus is about to enter the ring for the biggest fight of his life, why, he's going to face the devil himself, okay? We're, we're, we're tempted, and usually it's our own desires who tempt us. I don't know if any of us here have been tempted by the devil himself. This, is what, this was not Jesus' desires tempting him. This was the devil himself. The person who, from the very beginning, had, had been trying to wreck his plan of redemption, had been trying to wreck creation. This was the devil that, that Jesus was about to square off with, and he goes into it having not eaten for 40 days. And some, some of you might say, well, didn't that make him weak? You know, when you go into a fight, you want to go in strong. I know boxers who, who cut weight, and they'll dehydrate themselves, they won't eat, and they'll step on the scale maybe about 30 hours before a fight, and, and, and they'll make the weight. They'll make the weight, right? And then what do they do after that? They start eating, and they start replenishing. And it's, it's not uncommon for a boxer or a fighter to gain anywhere between 15 to 30 pounds in a day before they go into that boxing ring. So yeah, they weighed in 30 hours before the fight, maybe at 175 pounds, but they're entering into that ring, maybe 200, 205 pounds. Because what do they want to do? They want to replenish. They want to go in strong. They eat and eat and eat because they know the fight of their life, which for a boxer is the next fight, is happening soon. And your human mind might say, well, why did Jesus go into this in this way? This is making him weaker. No, friend. That's why we're teaching this whole series. Because fasting doesn't make you weaker. Fasting makes you Stronger. Amen. And Jesus, when the enemy stepped up to him, oh, Jesus was ready for it. He was ready for it. Let's look at this encounter. And let's see how the enemy tries 
to tempt Jesus. Verse 3. It says, the tempter came. This is Satan. This is the devil. The tempter came to him and said, this is Satan talking to Jesus. He says, if you are the son of God, tell those stones to become bread. You see what he's doing there, right? He knows he's hungry. There's some rocks there. You know, if you're all powerful, you're all that. Turn those rocks into bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not, eat on, eat, uh, uh, shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen. And he comes to tempt. And what is he tempting Jesus with? The lust of the flesh. He's saying, I know you're hungry. You have a legitimate need for hunger. So I'm going to tempt your flesh. And if you're really God, turn those stones into bread and enjoy the bread. The way the enemy will tempt you is he'll tempt you to find satisfaction in the wrong place. He's going to want to tempt you to find satisfaction in the wrong place. Over these next days, as you begin your fast, you're going to get tempted to find your satisfaction on the plate of food. And that is the wrong place to find satisfaction while you're fasting. Find satisfaction in the presence and in the filling of God that he gives you. That's where your satisfaction comes first. Now listen, it's hard, it's difficult to live this way, but fasting is hard and difficult. Satan is testing Jesus to quit. He's just saying, just quit already. You've been doing this for 40 days, you're weak, you're hungry, just quit. Just stop. And listen, whenever you're suffering, whenever you're battling something, the enemy will always try to tempt you with an easy escape route. Just say, just go this way, just compromise. Just bend your convictions a little bit. Hey, God won't care. He's tempting the lust of your flesh. Fasting gave Jesus the satisfaction in God's spirit that nothing could satisfy him. Bread was a cheap substitute compared to what God could do with him. Verse 5. That's one rejection that Jesus gives the devil. He doesn't stop. This is another thing we need to learn. Temptation will be continuous. It's ongoing. Verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple so he was able to oversee the entire city. If you are the son of God, said the enemy, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now here's another thing we need to know. The devil knows scripture too. Don't think he doesn't know the scriptures. He knows the scriptures. Oh, he doesn't know how to apply them. He doesn't know how to read them well or use them well, but the enemy will try to use the word to tempt you. The enemy says, For it is written, he will command the angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. So he's basically saying, Hey, if you are who you say you are, you know, throw yourself down there, and the angels will come and rescue you, and you won't even fall and hit the ground, not even a little bit. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. What was the enemy trying to do with Jesus here? He was trying to make him prideful. He was trying to say, hey, you have all power in your hands. Use your power to do something for yourself. If there's someone who knows about trying to elevate themselves above God, because that's what the enemy was trying to do here. He was tempted to go above God and his ways. Do you remember what Lucifer did to get kicked out of heaven? He started a mutiny. And Lucifer tried to elevate himself above God. Talk about pride. 
the being who created you, you're trying to say, I know more than you. Right? It's like you own a Tesla and you go into Elon Musk and say, you sit down and you sit over there. I know this car better than you. That's not going to work. Those engineers, those designers, you know that car inside and out. Why? Because they created it. And whenever we try to elevate ourselves above God, it's our pride coming through. And it's us saying, God, I know better than you. I know you created the universe and everything and you're all that. But I know more than you. That's the pride of life. And here, the devil is tempting Jesus to say, yeah, throw yourself down so you can show everyone how great you are, how powerful you are, how mighty you are. Jesus fasted 40 days. In this condition, he's not weak. He's what? He's stronger. And he chooses God's direction over the devil's pride. Verse 8. That's two rejections for the devil. Zero victories. Jesus is 2-0 over temptation. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him this time to a very high mountain. And he showed him. I want you to see that there. The lust of the eyes, right? He shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Everything that's in the world is there. The riches, the power, the prestige, the status, everything of the world is there. And Satan says, all of this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. And again, he uses the word, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Amen. The devil leaves him, and the angels come and attend to him. The lust of the eyes. When you're tempted to achieve the right things the wrong way, that's the lust of the eyes. The, the enemy will try to attempt to achieve good things, but to get you to do them in the wrong way. The enemy loves showcasing, loves to flaunt temptation. His temptations are super seductive. And when you're tired and you're frustrated and you're overwhelmed with life, you will choose the easy, quick fix win. The temptation that the enemy feeds you with the lie that it's worth it. You see, the enemy will, will give you things that temporarily make you feel really good. And he's going to lie to you and say, it's worth it. Just take it. Take the deal. I'm going to give you all of this. Just forget God. Go with me. I'm going to give you what you want. It's going to come quick. It's going to come easy. And it's going to come cheap. Just accept the deal because it's worth it. And listen, that lie of it being worth it is one of the most difficult, hardest lies to reject in your mind in your life. Because in a lot of ways, in your own sense, it is going to be worth it. Man, it's going to feel great. It's going to look awesome in my driveway. It's going to feel amazing to hang this on my wall. Oh, wait till people see me post this on social media. It's going to make me feel so great about myself. And in that momentary feeling of satisfaction, sin is conceiving in your heart and sin not dealt with leads to what? To death. Evil is never evil when it's presented by the enemy. It's always attractive, seductive, appealing. And here, the kingdoms of the earth, he shows Jesus. He says, all of this, all of this could be yours. Just bow your knee. No one gets hurt. 
Jesus says, no, it is written. Again, was Jesus weak here? No, Jesus was stronger. His flesh was restrained for 40 days. He's able to resist the cheap winds, the cheap fixes of the world, and stand true to his plan. Listen, this I know. Why did Jesus do all this? Why was Jesus doing all this? He was doing this. uh, He didn't need to prove anything to himself. He was doing this to show us that we could overcome temptation too. Because what did Jesus use to overcome temptation? Did he use like the supernatural, all-powerful, life-giving power of God to do it? No, he used the word to overcome temptation. Guess what? You could use the word to overcome temptation. He used prayer to overcome temptation. Guess what? You could use prayer to overcome temptation. He used fasting to strengthen his spirit. You could use fasting to strengthen his spirit. Jesus, at a snap of his finger, could have sent the death enemy into another universe. But he didn't because he was showing us that fasting and prayer and knowing how the enemy works makes you stronger. Makes you stronger. He gives us the blueprint. Pray, fast, know how the enemy works. This next week, as we go into this fasting season, man, I'm hoping that you would pray. I'm hoping that you would fast. And you would take time to say, I know how temptation works. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, I will reject them. Can I just finish with this really fast? And this is from Pastor Sam Storms. Um, Five tactics, five ways the enemy tempts you really quick, just super quick. Just some things to keep in mind as you go through this week and through your life. Five ways the enemy tempts you. The five tactics he uses. Satan tempts you when your faith is fresh. Listen, if a lot of you are just starting your walk with God, prepare to be tempted. Prepare to be tempted. Remember that what Jesus said about the parable of the sower? He said as soon as the seed gets sown, what does the enemy want to do? He comes like a bird to pluck it up. Because he doesn't want those things to take root. Listen, some of you are here, you haven't been in church in a while, you're rebuilding your faith, or you're new to this whole Christian thing, the whole Bible thing, you're new in this, Uh, the enemy sees you as a weak target, your faith maybe hasn't taken roots yet, there's nothing he wants more to come and snatch your faith up, and he's going to use temptation to do it. When your faith is fresh, you will be tempted. Number two, Satan tempts you when your faith feels strongest. This is the other side of the spectrum. This is a Christian who says, oh, I've defeated Satan. He's got nothing on me. I'm over that whole temptation thing. And when sometimes you're feeling faith, that your faith is strong, a little bit of spiritual pride will puff up in you and you'll let your guard down. And guess what he's going to come and do? He's going to come and he's going to tempt you. He's going to tempt you because you think you have it under control. And you let your guard down a little bit. Oh, right? What does the Bible say? Don't give the enemy not even a foothold into your life because he's crouching at the door ready to pounce on you. Don't even give him that inch. Number three, Satan tempts us when we are in a new place. When you are in a new place. Some of you, maybe you're coming here for the first time. He's going to tempt you. This is not for me. I don't know about all this. You know, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of stuff. A lot of words. It's too much. Maybe you're at a new job. Maybe you're going to a new place. Maybe you're in a new city, you're in a new uh, uh, school, you're in a new uh, surrounding, a new group, you're at the gym for the first time, hey, quit. Whenever you're in a new place, the enemy wants to come and tempt you. Because you're off footing, you're just getting, you're overwhelmed with everything that's going on. You're a weak target and he's going to try to come and attack you. Number four, Satan tempts us when your faith is being tested. If you are in a test, you will be tempted. 
Because you're kind of trying to figure things out and you feel like it's coming from all angles. And when temptation comes, sometimes he wants to make you so frustrated that you just say, forget it, God. I blame you for all this. And you want to walk away from him. When you're tired, when you're burnt out, when you're feeling excluded or ignored, that's usually when the attack is going to come. And you're going to say, this is so unfair. And God, it's your fault. And the last way that Satan tempts you is that when you are on a spiritual high, sometimes when you're riding that spiritual wave and you're saying, man, God, look what you did for me. Look how you came through. We get a little complacent. We get a little bit prideful. We get a little false sense of security. And that's where the enemy comes in and that's where he attacks. He's crafty. He is the enemy. He knows your soft spots. But I want to finish with this scripture. And I'm going to invite the worship team to join me here. There's hope when you're tempted. 1 Corinthians 10 Verse 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you. Look at that again. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. What's that saying? It's saying that the temptation that you suffer is, is, is not unique to just you. When you're tempted, you shouldn't isolate yourself or say, oh man, I'm messing up or you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a bad person or I, I can't go to church. I can't get in fellowship because all this temptation I feel. Temptation is not sin. It's common to mankind. But look at the second part. It says God is faithful. When you are tempted, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. 